This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. As you're sitting down, if you could open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we're in a series on spiritual gifts. And um, today we're launching into some specific gifts that we're going to look at. Not in great detail, but a little bit anyway. And um, I want to communicate that the previous three messages are really important to this series. I don't ever really recommend that you go listen to something I taught before, because that sounds a little funny. But um, at the risk of sounding a little funny or far worse, I, I would recommend that if you've not heard the first three messages in this series, that you go back to our website and download those and uh, listen, because they really lay a foundation for all that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. And in some ways, I think we're apt to misinterpret and misunderstand, or at least give an inappropriate balance to the subject of spiritual gifts if we don't understand what was going on in Corinth to begin with that caused Paul to speak about that. So anyway, you can listen to the first three messages. Last week, we covered verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12. So we talked about the fact that Paul... Paul is, uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit, explaining to the church here uh, what, is, uh, what, are, what are the purpose of the spiritual gifts. And he makes clear to them that a true sign of a work of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, a true evidence that the Holy Spirit is actively at work, and in particular through any kind of spiritual phenomena, is that it will lead people to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what he says in verse 3. The, the, the the nature of a spiritual gift is, uh, is not determined by the gift itself, but it's determined by the content of the gift. So the gift is to promote Jesus Christ and him crucified, and often that happens by encouraging and building up the people of God, which is called the body of Christ, the church, the body of Christ. So as people use their gifts given to them by God, the church is built up, and, and the lordship, the rulership of Jesus is on display as that happens. So that's the emphasis um, in verses 1 through 3. Today I want to look at verses 4 through 11. So I'm reading from verse 4, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, from the English Standard Version. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for your word and that you speak to us through your word, that this is the authoritative means that you communicate your will. And so we open ourselves to your word today and we ask you to speak to us. Give us ears to hear and give us eager hearts that we might respond to your spirit's work through the gifts amidst your people, Lord. Come and um, and have your way with us. Take our lives, take us as a church, and have your way, we pray. Fill me with the Spirit, Lord, I pray, to declare your word to the people gathered here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, having established that the goal of spiritual gifts is to promote Jesus Christ, um, Paul now transitions and he begins to talk about the nature of spiritual gifts. And here's his main point. His main point is that spiritual gifts demonstrate the church's diversity within unity. The spiritual gifts demonstrate the church's diversity within unity. Now, the verses we read are all one long paragraph, but the first sentence um, is really the Topic sent the thesis sentence of this paragraph, the topic sentence, I guess. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And that is the emphasis of what he is talking about here, varieties of gifts. Now, this is a gentle rebuke to the Corinthians, but because the Corinthians are not into variety. The, the uh, Corinthians, as we're going to see when we get to chapter 14, The Corinthians seem to have this singular focus, this singular fascination with what it really means to be spiritual in their eyes is to speak in tongues. And so they have this focus on tongues, and Paul is communicating here that there are a variety of gifts, and he's trying to take their gaze off a singular gift and broaden their gaze to the reality that there are varieties of gifts. He's adjusting their thinking, and he's going to make the, the point for the rest of this chapter, he's going to make the point that the church should welcome, celebrate, cultivate variety in gifts. The truth is that just as the Corinthians are not into variety, oftentimes we're not as well. Um, we tend to be comfortable with certain things that often reflect our own gifts and our own preferences, and we tend to think in that way, that this is what the church should be like in a very narrow way, and usually that very narrow way is that everybody should be like me. That's usually what it comes down to. I love what D.A. Carson, a commentator, said. He said, "Uh, the difference in us and God is this. When God sends a snowstorm, every flake is different. We, on the other hand make ice cubes. And that's human nature. Isn't that true? You ever ever seen like when you make the the tray ice cube, you put the thing down and every one of them is the exact same size and mold. So what tends to happen is people with a gift of mercy are looking for a mercy church and wondering why everybody else in the church doesn't have more of a heart for mercy and why the leaders aren't leading us into more mercy. And the person with a prophetic gift is wondering why there's not more prophecy in the church. And the person with a serving gift is wondering why everybody isn't serving. And the person with a leadership gift is wondering why aren't we raising up a whole church of leaders? Everybody's a leader. And so it's whatever our bent is, we tend to relate that way. So we shouldn't distance ourselves too quickly from the Corinthians. Maybe you wouldn't pick tongues as what the church should be like, but most of us would pick something. 
And it's usually not, I want to be surrounded by people that are vastly different than me in their gifting and in their expression of their gifting. And the Bible would say that's exactly what we need for a healthy church. Here's how we know he's making the point. Look at the language, verse 4. There are varieties of gifts. Verse 5, there are varieties of service. Verse 6, there are varieties of activities. Hey, Corinthians, it's about variety in giftedness to make up a healthy church. That's what Paul is communicating to them and what God is saying to us as well. Now, he's going to later show in this chapter that no gift, there's a variety, no gift is more important than another gift. And he's also going to say that every gift is needed. But before he gets there, he's going to talk about this varieties of gifts, and he's going to make a uh, he, he's going to link it to the nature of God. He's going to make a God-centered point. Kind of the practical point is we need all the gifts to be healthy; they're all necessary. But the theological point he's going to make is this is because this is what God is like. Look what he says: There's varieties of gifts, verse four, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Verse 6, there's varieties of activities, but the same God. Do you see what he says? Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. He's just given us a Trinitarian formula. This is the Trinity. The same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same Lord, that's talking about Jesus. Look at verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. So he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ in this context. Same Spirit, same Lord Jesus, same God, which usually is a reference to the Father in Scripture. It's the same Spirit, same Jesus, same Father. So there's a variety of gifts, but there's one God. And that's sort of what God is like, he's saying as well. There's one God, but within the one God, there is a diversity of persons. There's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the church is a variety of gifts brought together in one God, you know, empowered by one Spirit is what he says here, declaring the Lordship of one Jesus. So the church is about one God. We're to be unified, but within that unity, there is diversity of gifts. God is unified. There's one God, but there's three persons. And the church best reflects God when we are unified around Christ and we are diverse in our function and in our gifts. We most reflect the nature of God when we are unified in purpose, unified around Jesus Christ and him crucified, yet we are not uniform. We are diverse, differing gifts brought together. That reflects God. Now, look at what he says about these various things. He uses different words to describe what he's speaking about here. He says there are varieties of gifts, first of all, verse 4. And you see he's going to use two other words, uh, service, verse 5, varieties of service, verse 6, varieties of activities. These are parallel. They're not synonymous, but they're parallel. And um, he's he's talking about the same thing, but he's using a different emphasis. The first one is gifts, 
And, and the root word, we talked about this last week, of gifts is grace. It's the word charismata. It, is, um, it, it means grace in a way, something that is given that indicates grace. It's grace made clear. It's grace made concrete. It's grace demonstrated actually something freely given. So when Paul thinks about spiritual gifts in this way, he uses a word, the Lord inspires him to use a word that means it's something that's given by grace. He uses this same word in a spiritual gifts list in Romans. Romans um, chapter 12, Romans 12 verses 6 and 7, uh, this is what he says. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, it's the same word gifts, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He says these are all gifts. And it's the same word, they're grace gifts. And I point that out because here the list, he has a number of things that might appear, quote, ordinary. I mean, he does talk about prophecy, which may not appear ordinary. But he talks about gifts of teaching, gifts of exhortation, gifts of contribution, or we might call it a gift of giving, uh, gift of leadership, gift of mercy. So he talks about differing gifts in that list, but it's the same word. It's something that God has given. One author said this, spiritual gifts are not a badge of spirituality, but a mark of grace. And that's why the word gifts here has as its root grace. When you see that word, it's grace gifts. Spiritual gifts are not a badge of spirituality. Boy, they're really spiritual. They have that gift. No, it's a sign of grace. God has given them something. Next, he says that there are varieties of service. So he's still talking about spiritual gifts, but he's calling them something different. Service. They're a means of serving. Um, service is not high for the Corinthians. They're coming to the, a dinner, the Lord's Supper. They had the Lord's Supper over a dinner at, the, at this church in Corinth. And um, in a previous chapter, the rich people are showing up with food and the poor people aren't. So it's a potluck if you've got something for the rich and the wealthy, and they're not caring for the poor. So they're going hungry at the Lord's Supper, and then when they receive the bread and the wine, they're receiving too much wine, and they're actually getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. This is very selfish. They're not thinking about service. There's factions in the church. Wherever there are divisions and factions, you can be sure that selfishness is not far away. Because if I have your best interest at heart, I'm probably not dividing from you and lobbing things at you and uh, not wanting to have anything to do with you. So they are a selfish people. And Paul's trying to say, look, you're enamored with tongues. He has to actually tell them in chapter 14, look, let's just go one at a time here. Or in giving prophetic words, let's just go one at a time. Like if someone's speaking and someone else gets a word, the first person could stop and sit down and let someone else. So I don't know if someone's talking and then it's just com competitive where people are just shouting on one another. I don't know if that's what's happening, but it sounds like there's no service. They don't see the gifts as a means of service. And Paul says that is what they're all about. They serve. 14.1, be eager to, you know, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Why should we be eager in our desire spiritual gifts. Why should we earnestly desire spiritual gifts? Because they serve others. Gift of prophecy builds the church up. 
So there's a variety of service. We can't talk about service without talking about gifts at some point. And we can't talk about gifts for sure without talking about service because that's what they're intended to do. They're intended to serve others. Lastly, he says there are varieties of activities, varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. It can be translated workings. Sometimes it's translated that way, a varieties of workings. He's saying the Spirit is not a theoretical entity. The Holy Spirit's not just theoretical. The Holy Spirit is real, and when he is present, he is active, and there are activities that demonstrate the presence of the Spirit. And so it's not just theoretical, it's workings. He's talking about there's a variety of, we could say, workings of the Spirit. There's a variety of activities of the Spirit. The Spirit is active among his people. So gifts, service, activities. And they, those parallel statements are all kind of, uh, kind of fit under what comes verse in, next in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So gifts, service, activities all mean essentially the same thing, and they are all manifestations of the Spirit. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit manifests himself. The Holy Spirit is personal, and he discloses himself in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I trust, I pray, he's disclosing himself right now. As we teach through the Scripture, this is the inspired Word of God. The only place we find the authoritative, God-breathed Word is in the Scripture. So as we're teaching through the Scripture, the Holy Spirit is speaking, opening our eyes to the text, uh, speaking words of conviction, words of encouragement, words of hope, words of adjustment and correction at times. Uh, words of strength. So the Holy Spirit is working in us. So this is an activity of the Spirit, preaching the Word of God. Um, But when the Holy Spirit is present, he is manifesting, disclosing himself. Why are spiritual gifts important? Because they are a means that God reveals himself. They're a means that the Holy Spirit is present and revealing his presence. Not the only way, but a significant way. So God gives these gifts, manifests the Spirit for the common good. The common good. It's not for a personal, you know, a personal high or some kind of personal spirituality that Paul's talking about. He says, it's not that. You think it's about your badge of spirituality that you have this gift. You think it's about your personal experience, and so you just go on and on and on and don't serve others, uh, don't allow others to participate. That's wrong, he says. It is for the common good. The gifts are to build everybody up. So the Holy Spirit will manifest himself and people will be built up. So just consider, based on these four verses that we've looked at, just consider the value of spiritual gifts. They are gifts of grace. They are grace made concrete in our midst. They are tangible grace. They are gracelets. They are demonstration of grace. They are, they are God giving a means of revealing himself. They are means of service. They are the workings, the activities of the Holy Spirit. They are the manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. They reflect the Trinity in some way because they reflect a diversity in the midst of a unity, just as we have one God in three persons. Um, they are a means of, for the common good, they build up the church. I mean, who wouldn't want these things? 
Show me the church that wouldn't want the manifest grace of God in tangible form in increasing ways among their church. Who wouldn't want the manifestation of the Holy Spirit? What could be more precious as we gather? I mean, we love one another. love all the people here. Look around. We love each other, but not like we love God ultimately. I mean, ultimately, we're here for him and secondarily for one another. The Spirit manifests himself. Who doesn't need the common good? 1 Corinthians 14 is to say prophecy edifies, it builds up. Show me a church that doesn't need to be built up. Show me a person that doesn't need to be strengthened spiritually. And when I meet that person, I would say, well, no, you have no need of spiritual gifts. You have no need of God meeting you in that way. But we all need to be built up. Who doesn't need the Spirit to manifest himself? Who wouldn't want to freely receive what God freely gives? And so Paul is encouraging the gifts of the Spirit, and he's encouraging them for the right reasons, for the right purpose. It's diversity. It's the beauty of diversity in the church. Differing gifts coming together, functioning, operating. We've just read a few. But, but it, it's, it's a picture of strengthening God's people. So now next, he's going to give some examples of diversity within unity. So ultimately, this is about how showing how the Spirit works in the church, spiritual gifts reveal the diversity within unity. And now he gives a specific list. And I said I, there might be 12 last week. I counted there's nine, so I never counted before. It wasn't that I miscounted. I just kind of popped off in the middle of the sermon and said, there's probably 12, but there's nine. I looked, I counted. So there's like nine listed here, but it's not an exhaustive list. Um, look at the end of the chapter, chapter 12. He's going to add to the list right there, verse 28 of this same chapter. God has appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, teachers. Um, so those are people who are gifts. Then miracles, which he's already mentioned, healing he's already mentioned, helping The gift of helping, the gift of helps, or the gift of helping, that's a gift. Um, He mentions that one, adds that. The gift of administrating, that's what he says yet. It means to steer or to navigate is what the word actually means. So an administrating gift. Now, administrating and helping wouldn't seem to be dramatic, uh, uh, supernatural, spectacular type of gifts. But notice this, he's putting it in the same chapter. He views, because the word charismata is behind gifts, a charismatic gift is anything the Spirit gives um, to the church to build them up. So the gift of administration is charismatic. The gift of uh, helps is charismatic. The Corinthians would view the charismatic gifts, the spiritual gifts, as probably things like tongues and prophecy. But there's other gifts as well. Um, 1 Peter 4, this is what 1 Peter 4 says. Peter talks about spiritual gifts and gives a list that's very basic. Verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So you receive a gift, use it. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks... As one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves in the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, I mean, Peter has two gifts right there. Speaking. If you're speaking, speak as the oracles of God. Use those gifts to bless others. If you're serving, do it in the the power, the strength that God supplies. Now, does Peter think there's only two gifts? No, he's just categorizing them. There's speaking gifts. There's serving gifts. Hopefully those with speaking gifts are serving others, but 
you know what he's saying. So there's differing lists in the Bible. We already read the list earlier from Romans 12, where Paul uh, says mercy is a gift, contributing is a gift, leadership is a gift, teaching is a gift. So there's numbers of places in the Bible where both, quote, extraordinary and, quote, ordinary gifts are together, but the Bible doesn't seem to separate them. The Bible seems to say they're all a work of the Spirit. The Spirit manifests himself in administration. And if you've ever been somewhere where there's no organization whatsoever, no administration, no direction whatsoever, you will be aware of how you need the Spirit to bring clarity and chaos. So administration in the church is a spiritual gift that's a charismatic work, a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, here's the challenge with the next portion of Scripture and the nine gifts that are mentioned and the place where if uh, there may be numerous disappointing places in the sermon, but if I'm going to disappoint, I think this is going to be the spot. Um, here's the problem. I think we come to this passage wanting what God doesn't give us in this passage. What we come wanting is a spiritual gift with definition, with example, with application, with descriptive paragraph and diagnostic questions that I can ask to find out if I have that gift. And, or we want them classified, which Peter did, speaking gifts and serving gifts, or we want them classified or something. So that's what we often want to come, but Paul doesn't give that. And here's why. This is why this context is so important. Really, spiritual gifts are a secondary issue. The primary thing Paul's talking about is not even spiritual gifts. The primary thing Paul's talking about is unity in the church and how in, in unity there is a diversity And so Paul is giving this list of gifts, not because I'm writing a book on spiritual gifts and let me tell you all about them. He's like ticking things off a list. He doesn't list them all. There's other gifts in other places. He's going to give a list again. In the end of the chapter, he's going to toss in a couple more. So Paul's not thinking spiritual gifts book where I need to profile each one of them. Paul's just saying, here's the point. There's diversity. For instance, here's nine different gifts that are all diverse. The whole point of the list is to demonstrate there's not one gift, there's multiple. And he's going to add some at the end of the chapter. So the point of the passage is not to give us what we often want. And it's not bad to ask, what does a gift mean, and do I have it? Those are good questions. But he doesn't really go into that kind of detail. So I'm going to run through and talk about these gifts on what we have here and tell you what I think I know from the text and tell you what I don't know as well. We'll just see what he tells us here. First, Here's the first one he mentions. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit, verse 7, for the common good, verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To one is given the utterance of wisdom. What is the utterance of wisdom? I do not know. (laughs) This is the only time it's mentioned in the whole Bible. Everything that is ever communicated about the utterance of wisdom is in this verse. If you're a new believer and you've never read the Bible until right now, you have read every section of the Bible that talks about the utterance of wisdom. So, hey, congratulations. Welcome to Grace Church. You know, you know as much as anyone in the room right now, you've read every passage on the utterance of wisdom. Sometimes it's called, uh, the NIV I think calls it a message of wisdom. 
Old school calls it a word of wisdom. I don't know if that was the King James or where that came from, but the word of wisdom. Here it's called the utterance of wisdom. So here's an interpretive principle. Where the scripture is vague, it's good for us to be vague as well. And that's an utterance of wisdom right there. Where the scripture is vague, (laughs) it's good for us to be vague as well. Okay, we know a few things. I'm going to say some things about this because we do know some things. Um, we, We know that it's probably not just speaking about wisdom in general. He's not saying to some people, there are some people that are tremendously wise. That's not what it says. It says rather that there is given an utterance. That's something that's spoken. So it's not talking about general wisdom. I I would imagine a newer Christian could have an utterance of wisdom. It's not tied to uh, necessarily biblical maturity. It's an utterance. It's something, an utterance is a spoken word. It's a spoken message. It's a spoken idea. It's a spoken word. So we know that much. So I think it's a broadening gift that many people could have. There's varieties of gifts. So it's not just the three wisest theologians or the people who have the most life experience in the room. That's not what it's talking about. It's a different kind. It's an utterance. And the whole passage is this diversity. God gives this. That's the another thing. It's saying to each is given. These are gifts that are given. And so there is a sense in which it's not a lifestyle of something you develop, but something that is given to you, an utterance of wisdom. What do we know about wisdom? Well, if we were to take the word wisdom in this letter, if we don't do a whole Bible survey, but we look the context of this letter, here's what we find out. That in chapters 1 and 2, Paul is correcting the Corinthian view of wisdom. The Corinthians are enamored. They're blown away. They're like, they have these wisdom gurus that come in and teach, and they're like first century rock stars. They're amazed by the wisdom gurus. They come in with philosophy. They come in with eloquence. And in chapters one and two, this is what Paul says. I don't do philosophy and eloquence to impress you like they do. I don't use fanciful speech so that you're blown away by me like they do. Here's what I do. I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the wisdom I bring. So Paul defines wisdom in chapters one and two by this idea that it is the mystery of Christ revealed, that real wisdom is the mystery of Christ spoken and revealed that he came in to save sinners. So if we were to take wisdom from this book of the Bible, I think we could say something like this, that a a word of wisdom would be a spoken message that emphasizes something about God's redeeming purposes, that's what Paul says, to bring encouragement for the common good of people. And so it could be something that is tied to what God has done in Jesus Christ that helps people, that helps people. So I could see a gift like this being used um, in a small group when people are sharing and someone shares a a need and they, they feel hopeless or something like that. And then the Lord lays on someone's heart a word that communicates something about Christ and him crucified that, that brings illumination to that person that helps them. There's a counseling class going on here on Thursday nights. And this would be a gift that I think would be tremendously used by God for a counselor. That you're talking to someone about something, and the Lord gives you an insight, a word, an utterance, that you speak to the counselee, the person who's struggling, and it brings a clarity. It brings a hope, because it's something about the purpose of Christ, the grace of God, and what difference that makes in their lives. So it could be something like that. Others have emphasized that, well, it's something that God gives a spontaneous 
revelation for a particular need, and it's not really tied to Christ at all necessarily. So some would say, like, well, an example of the Bible is where Solomon is there. Two women come and say, this is my baby. No, this is my baby. No, this is my baby. Solomon has a word of wisdom. Cut the baby in half. The lady whose baby it is says, no, don't cut the baby in half. I love my baby. The other lady says, okay, then I'll take the baby. And Solomon says, now we know who it is. The one who didn't want to cut the baby in half, that's her baby. So some say that's a word of wisdom. I suppose, I mean, it could be, but it wouldn't be using wisdom in the way that Paul uses it here. So I don't, want, I don't think we could say a ton about exactly what it is, but I think contextually it's something that God reveals that is then spoken that could be used powerfully to edify and encourage others, and it probably has something to do uh, with a message tied to not eloquence and philosophy, but tied to the glory of what Christ has done for us and his death, his forgiveness, his, his grace, his resurrection, his power, his perseverance mercy to us, something like that. Okay, the next one is an utterance of knowledge. Again, this is the only time this appears in the Bible. So anybody who would say, I know 100% what an utterance of knowledge is, is going to have to be really creative because this is all that we are told. So again, same thing. It's something that's spoken. It's something that God gives. Uh, it's something that a word that is, is, is given that that encourages and builds up, that has some type of, you know, Christian knowledge, something about the faith to it that God has given them. Now, sort of the word of knowledge, old school uh, sort of teaching is that it is something that you don't know naturally that is told you uh, by the Spirit, and that when you share that, uh, you know, it maybe leads to a, to a ministry time or, or something like that. Um, so, Here's an example of something like that happening. I picked, I picked a non-charismatic to share this illustration from because I think it has more credence than if I t- tell an example of what I saw on a TV evangelist do this week. Um, but this, I think, has a little bit more interesting credence. So this is something that happened with Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor in the uh, 1800s in England, a Reformed Baptist. Some people say this is kind of what a word of knowledge is. This is, a, this is from his autobiography. He says, while preaching in the hall on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, there is a man sitting there who is a shoemaker and keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sabbath morning. He took nine pence and there was four pence profit out of it. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. So he's preaching. He had a very large church, and he calls out some guy by profession and not only says that he works Sundays, but he took some money. So this is what happened. A missionary was going around, and he met this man, and he saw this man reading one of Spurgeon's sermons, and he says, do you know of Spurgeon? And the man said, yes, I have every reason to know him. I have been to hear him, and under his preaching by God's grace, I have become a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what happened. I went to the music hall, took my seat in the middle of the place. Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me, and in his sermon, he pointed to me and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sundays, and I did. I should not have minded that, but he also said that I took nine pence the Sunday before and that there was four pence profit out of it. I did take nine pence that day, and four pence was just the profit, but how he should know that, I could not tell. Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. And I shut up my shop the next Sunday. At first, I was afraid to go again to hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. But afterwards, I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. 
Spurgeon then says this after that in his autobiography. I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it. And so striking has been my description that persons have gone away and have said to their friends, come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent by God to my soul or else he could not have described me so exactly. And not only so, but I have known many instances in which the thoughts of men have been revealed from the pulpit. I have sometimes seen persons nudge their neighbors with their elbow because they got a smart hit, and they have been heard to say when they were going out, the preacher told us what we said to one another when we went in at the door. So he's saying an example of, he's not saying that, he didn't say it was a word of knowledge, he may not have believed that gift existed but he had it. Uh, whether he believed it or not, there's a great example of a cessationist more charismatic than most charismatics. But he, uh, so what is happening is something unknown naturally becomes known and is used in ministry. Is that what a word of knowledge is? I, I just don't know if that's what a word of knowledge is. I think that might be a prophecy um, where God reveals something that's unknown that is shared for encouragement. I think Paul might just call that a revelation. In chapter 14, if you look over at, um, if you look in chapter 14, this is how Paul describes the worship service, verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. So Paul anticipates that when people would come together and worship, there would be times where someone would have a revelation. And he's not talking about a uh, like a revelation like writing Bible, the Bible. He's not talking about a capital R revelation. The Corinthians weren't having scripture quality words. The Corinthians were a mess. They're not speaking authoritative scripture. But it could be something like that, where God puts something in someone's mind they don't know, which leads to uh, ministry to someone else. I've certainly seen that kind of thing, not like Spurgeon described. I've never seen that specific but I've certainly seen that kind of thing. We've seen that kind of thing happen here where someone puts on someone's heart, there might be a group of people we should pray for this morning spontaneously, and we pray for them. And uh, we didn't know they had a need, and we didn't know what it was, but God put that on someone's heart. So word of wisdom, word of knowledge, utterance of knowledge, utterance of wisdom. What's the next thing he says? There are gifts of faith. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. So this isn't saving faith. Every Christian has saving faith. But there evidently is a gift of faith that God could give someone an unusual faith. Could be used maybe when there's a specific need or a specific occasion. Faith. So God gives someone a gift that is unusual in its faith. It's not just, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved faith, but some kind of faith that would be different. I think that's, a, that's something that could be very encouraging in prayer. And in prayer ministry, have you ever been in the room? This, is, this has probably happened in your small group where someone shares a need and uh, you're just kind of praying and then all of a sudden someone starts praying and there is a faith present. There's an encouragement. It's like, well, this isn't just a standard, uh, let's fire up a few words to the Lord and, and get to the brownies kind of a situation. This is, this is, there's something that just happened in the room where we feel like there's a fresh faith towards God in this situation, a gift of faith. Gifts of healing, he says. It's plural gifts of healing. He's not speaking about a person who is a healer, but that there would be gifts, plural, of healing, something that would be given. I I think the idea here is when people come together, there's all kinds of gifts happening. 
So I don't think he's talking about get one guy up on a platform or out in a tent somewhere and start a healing ministry. I think he's talking about the body of Christ coming together. And when you pray, there will be gifts at various times of healings. God will answer prayer. God says in James 5, for instance, that the elders of the church are to pray for the sick and God will heal. Not always, does not heal in every occasion, um, but he does heal. It's not a statement that we don't believe in medical means or anything like that, because we do. And we should, but, but, uh, or, or alternative medicine or whatever your approach is on that one. But he is saying ultimately that God does heal people directly at various times. And so we can pray for that, and God will do that. Um, not, again, it may not happen all the time. Some of these things, as we're looking at them, you say, well, I don't really see that happening much. And I don't see that happening a lot in our church, but I hear stories about that happening elsewhere. Why is that? You know, I don't know that I have a full explanation of that, but my experience, if I can speak experientially, tells me that where there's a desperation and a lack of aid, often people are crying out in desperation before the Lord in faith more, and that's often where the Lord responds. I remember being in Mexico one time, and uh, we prayed for the Mexico this morning, but I remember being in Mexico one time, and we were handing out food. We went to a very impoverished area, and we were handing out food. There was this very long line of people getting rice and beans. And uh, so it was going to take people a long time to get up there. And someone suggested, there's probably some sick people here. I mean, it's a super, super impoverished area. I said, there's probably some sick people, so while they're waiting in line, why don't, we, why don't we offer just to pray for the sick? And so there's like a little portable mic. So somebody got up and said, hey, in Spanish, you know, we're going to be over here. Uh, if you're sick and you need God to touch your body, let's just pray for you. And tons of people got out of the line. They're waiting for food, but they got out of the line to come over here and have someone pray for them because their need of physical health was so great and there was no means to help them. Listen, if I go to the park over here with a mic in Frisco and get on a mic and saying, hey, everybody, big park day, everybody, I just want to let you know, I'm going to be over here, and there's a group of us, we're going to be praying for any sick people. If you'd just like to come over, we'll be happy to pray for you, lay hands on you, and ask God to heal you. Um, awkward silence, <laughs> mocking and maybe one or two really desperate people that have an incurable disease like cancer or something would come over and say, I'll try. But you're in a place where there's nothing like this, and you'd have nowhere to lean and nowhere to turn. I think there's a desperation that oftentimes leads to prayer. And so I think for us as well, we'd be wise to use whatever means God has provided through nutrition and health and medicine and everything. But, but uh, we'd be wise to cry out to God in desperation as well. Sometimes we may not see gifts of healings because we're not asking. Because we're not asking. Next, he talks about working of miracles. Uh, the word means powers, working of powers. Um, what is that? I think it's when God intervenes in a dramatic way that is above the ordinary, that is supernatural in some way. One example of that that I think we see in the Bible would be uh, the expulsion of demons from people that are demonized. So someone is demonized. You see this frequently in the Bible, not just with Jesus, but with others. They pray for someone, and, and uh, they pray for someone, and they are freed from a demonic presence. That's a miraculous act. That's God intervening in a dramatic way and demonstrating his sovereignty over all. Um, there could be other ways that, that God does miraculous things. Another one is, it mentions prophecy. There's gifts of prophecy, gifts of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. I'm going to skip those because the entire chapter 14 is on that. There's 30 some odd verses on that. So we'll get a very, we're going to get a very clear definition, very clear 
of tongues and interpretation and prophecy because he talks a lot about it, but he just mentions it here. So we'll wait till we get there because we're out of time almost anyway. And then the distinguishing of spirits, he says, that's another one. Another gift could be the distinguishing of spirits. What's that? Well, I would imagine it's the ability to distinguish the nature of a spirit. Is something happening of God or is it of not? The Corinthians were from a pagan background. They used to go to the temples of mute idols, it says. They were part of Greek mystery religions. They worshipped demons prior to their conversion. And they prophesied and had all kinds of spiritual phenomena. So that would have been a particularly necessary need there when you're having the small group and everybody's background is having ecstatic utterances and giving prophetic words and all kinds of stuff. And some guy's coming in and giving a word that might you know, that guy may not even be saved. He may be doing that from his pagan background. Uh, Again, that's probably not quite as common in our circumstance that people are coming from that kind of background into that, but that would have been very relevant there. But it could still be something that's relevant today, a distinguishing between spirits. Paul, in Acts 16, there's this servant girl running around saying, these men are servants of the Most High. And Paul discerned that she was speaking from a demon and not from the Lord. And he prayed and she was delivered. So Paul takes a number of gifts here. In this list, they are more, uh, except for the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, um, which I'm not quite sure what those are for sure, but th- I think the others are, tend to be a little bit more on the supernatural end than some other gift list. But Paul takes these and he shows there's all kinds of ways that God moves, and we could add later in the chapter, helps, administration, serving, mercy, leadership, teaching, etc., Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So here's where he closes. He says the same Spirit gives all these types of gifts to empower his people. He apportions, that is, he is sovereign. He selects. Um, The question is often asked, why are all the things I read in the book of Acts not happening now? Um, or at least not happening in what I see in, in my world. Not, the, not like they're not happening on planet Earth now, but not happening among the people that I know. You know, I think there's a, probably a lot of answers for that. One of the simplest answers is that God is sovereign over apportioning and appointing gifts. Now, I think we're to be informed. That's what he says, verse 1. I don't want you to be uninformed. 14, 1, we're to eagerly desire. There's a scripture in verse chapter 14 we'll look at that talks about even praying for a spiritual gift. So being informed, desiring, praying, desperate, and available, that certainly has a part to play. But secondarily, ultimately, you could be all of those things, and some gifts might not be happening in your observable area. And that could be because God apportions the gifts as he wants, when he wants, to whom he wants, for the purposes that he wants. So our job is to be informed, to study. As he said, I don't want you to be uninformed. To study, to be informed, to pray, to be earnestly desiring. His job is to appoint the gifts he wants, and to, to make room for them. And his job is to appoint the gifts that he wants when and where he wants them. And that's what's so great about all of this is because when you read a passage like this, it just puts in clear picture the great gap between God and us. The great gap. We can't make things happen. We can't heal anybody. I can't create knowledge that I did not have. I cannot have a word of, I can't make a word of wisdom happen. I can't heal a person. 
can't make tongues happen. I can't make prophecy happen. If you want to talk about serving in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit for His purposes, I can't make godly mercy happen. I can't make godly for the purpose of God administration. I can't make godly leadership inspired by the Spirit. I can't make those things happen either. We're desperate for him. He is sovereign. We aren't. And so it puts us in a place where we lowly say, Lord, these are gifts of grace. Do what you want in us. We want to study. We want to pray. We want to meditate. We want to recognize our weakness, our inability, and our need. And we want to rest in you and trust in you and say, Lord, come and have your way in us. That's our part. His part is to act as he desires in the way he desires. And so I think our prayer is that God would increase his ministry of his spirit among us. I can't define exactly what that would look like, but I can def- think we can define some of what it looks like as we look at all the gifts of the scripture. We want to be open to what the Lord has biblically in his way, trusting him to accomplish his purposes. Why? So that Jesus's lordship is on display um, so that the body of Christ is built up and strengthened, and so that the variety within the unity is on display, and God is on display for his glory. So we're going to pray along those lines, and uh, we'll pray tonight. We're going to sing. We're going to have an extensive time of singing tonight and just waiting and praying on the Lord to, uh, to the Lord tonight as well and in our small group. So we'll be seeking to ask God to meet us in various ways um, And we'll provide what we trust will be biblical leadership and all that. And uh, everything will happen, as the scripture says, decently and in order is what Paul says is required. Not mayhem, but decently and in order. And uh, we trust the Lord to have his way. So let's pray, and then we'll gather back tonight if you can come. God, we thank you for your many gifts. We thank you that you care for your people and that you desire to show yourself, to manifest your presence and that you do that in a lot of different ways. And we pray that the varieties of gifts, the varieties of service, the varieties of workings would be in our midst, Lord, that your spirit would be so manifest. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.